Hey friends, welcome back to Murder on the Map. I'm your host, Taylor, and before I get into the show today, I want to ask you to do me a favor. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're currently listening on. Reviews and ratings help more people discover the show, and if more people discover the show, that means I can help reach my goal of bringing awareness to underreported and cold cases and get justice for victims and their families. Today's case is pretty dark, twisty, and unexpected. The state is Minnesota, and this is the story of the murder of Ken McLennan. If you're listening to my show, I can only assume that you like spooky stuff, or you're my mom. And, hey mom, if you're listening, go ahead and tune this ad out. Anyway, I'm shopping at Karaz, and they have the cutest spooky stuff tees. They also have some southwestern tees, so if you love Arizona and out west, there's tees for you. And my personal favorite is the Brooks and Dunn Neon Moon shirt. And I have a promo code where you can get 10% off your first order. So if you're in the market for some new shirts and you want to look cute, which, I mean, come on, we all do, check out karaz.com. That's K-A-E-R-A-Z.com and use code TaylorBTalks for 10% off your first order. Ken McLennan was born in Canada on August 28, 1949. He married a woman named Betty Ralph, and on February 22, 1985, she gave birth to their son, Jason. In 1997, the family relocated to Oviedo, Florida, and Jason attended the high school there where he was pretty popular and played lacrosse. Ken was a successful businessman and Betty was a homemaker, and the family seemed to be happy and doing well until Betty was diagnosed with breast cancer. Her treatment was hard and it included two mastectomies. During the time that Betty was going through treatment, Ken abandoned his family and prioritized work. He had extensive international business travel going on and left Jason to take care of his mom. Jason would sometimes fall asleep in school because he had been up all night the night before tending to his mom, and towards the end of Betty's life, the family temporarily moved back to Canada so she could be with her family. Unfortunately, Betty died from cancer on July 13, 1999. After her death, Jason spiraled into a deeper depression and Ken threw himself more into work. And there are different accounts on how everything shook out after her death, but some say it was two weeks and some say it was four months, but regardless of the amount of time, soon after Betty's death, Ken's new girlfriend moved into the family home in Florida. Lawrence Morand, the new girlfriend, was a Swiss businesswoman and she had to fly back and forth to Switzerland every 90 days because of visa problems, but she lived with Jason and Ken on and off for years. Jason did not like Lawrence, found the relationship super inappropriate, and hated that she lived there. It caused frequent fights both between Lawrence and Jason, between Jason and his dad, and then also between Lawrence and Ken. So basically the entire family was in turmoil. In 2002, the family moved to St. Cloud, Minnesota, where Ken, who was a former Tupperware executive, got a high-level management job at a scrapbook and photo album company called Creative Memories. The family adopted a Jack Russell Terrier named Mac, so that probably made for some nice memories, but it didn't compensate for Ken's long absences. He was still traveling constantly, and even when he was in town, he would reportedly be in the office until 9 or 10 o'clock at night, which, although Jason was a teenager at this point, he basically was raising himself. On Monday, January 13, 2003, Ken was scheduled to return home from a business trip to Great Britain. 
Earlier that day, Jason had decided not to go to school and instead hosted a kickback with several of his friends at his house. Most of his friends had left by 2 p.m., which was around the time that their parents would expect them to return home from school. But Jason's two closest friends, Matt Muller and Kyle Melberg, stayed behind. Between 2 and 2.15, Jason and Kyle decided to drive separately to the local Outback Steakhouse restaurant where Jason, Kyle, and Matt all worked. After Jason and Kyle picked up their paychecks, they drove around St. Cloud in Kyle's car. The two eventually went to Kyle's house to play video games. During this time, Matt stayed at Jason's house. According to Matt, he stayed there because of the plan that he and Jason had devised to kill Ken. Matt had his 22 caliber rifle with him as he waited inside the home for Ken to return from his business trip. Matt testified that the plan was for him to shoot Ken when he entered the home. Matt waited for Ken to arrive until around 5, at which point he decided he wasn't capable of following through with the plan. Matt testified that he then took his rifle to his car and drove back to his family's house. At 5.19 p.m., Jason received a call on his cell phone that originated from his father's cell phone. It's likely that Jason expected the voice on the other end to be Matt's, confirming that Ken was dead, and instead the call was from his dad, who insisted he return home immediately. While on his way home, Jason placed a call to Matt. According to Matt, Jason questioned him about his failure to follow through with the plan to kill Ken. Jason's testimony differed from Matt's on this point. Jason testified that he had called Matt to say that Ken had returned home and to arrange for Jason and Matt to meet later that evening so Jason and his dad did not have to spend any time together. When Jason and Kyle got to Jason's house, Jason asked Kyle to come inside with him and Kyle agreed. When they got inside, Ken told Jason that he had discovered an empty beer bottle and he was pissed. Ken then instructed Jason to retrieve his car from the parking lot at Outback and then return home immediately. Kyle testified that he had never met Ken before this moment, so he was unable to discern whether Ken's demeanor during this encounter was abnormal. Kyle then took Jason to the restaurant to pick up the car, after which they returned to their respective houses. After Jason arrived home, he and Ken had an argument about the empty beer bottle that his dad said he had discovered. According to Jason, his father degraded and insulted him during the argument. Jason testified that after the argument, his dad left to have dinner at a local restaurant and Jason retreated into his bedroom, which was located in the basement. When Ken got home from dinner, he went to the basement to smoke a cigar and play pool. Jason testified that while Ken was in the basement, he entered Jason's bedroom, stood by the bed, and began yelling at him. After Ken left Jason's room, Jason called Matt to ask him to sneak out and drive to his house to keep him company. Both boys testified that this was not an unusual request because Matt frequently snuck out to visit Jason. Initially, Matt said no and that his parents definitely would catch him and not allow him to leave, but after some discussion and some persuasion from Jason, Matt agreed to sneak out later that night. According to Matt, Jason also asked him to bring back his 22 caliber rifle with him. Matt arrived at Jason's at approximately 10 p.m. and parked a short distance away from the home. As usual, Matt entered through the basement door and this time he carried his rifle with him. Jason met Matt in the basement. Matt testified that Jason again asked him why he didn't carry out the shooting earlier in the day and Matt responded that he didn't want to kill Jason's dad. Matt then slid the rifle under Jason's bed and the two boys left to drive around the city in Matt's car. 
According to Matt, while they were driving, the two boys talked about shooting Ken. In contrast, Jason testified that he and Matt talked about typical teenage things such as girls, movies, and high school. After a couple of hours, Jason and Matt drove back to the McLennan home and Matt again parked a short distance away. The boys went inside and sat in the living room. After a while, Matt went to retrieve the rifle from underneath Jason's bed and brought it up to the living room. The boys then took the rifle up the stairs and approached Ken's bedroom where they listened for sounds that would indicate whether Ken was awake or asleep. After a few moments, they returned back to the living room. Jason testified that then Matt dared Jason to take the rifle back upstairs by himself. When Jason took the rifle upstairs, Matt went into the basement, put on a pair of Jason's boots, walked out the basement door and around the front of the home. Matt then walked up to the front door and rang the doorbell. According to Jason, he could see Matt through the windows surrounding the front door. Jason testified that he attempted to get Matt's attention to show him that he had successfully completed the dare, but Matt rang the doorbell without looking through the front door windows. Upon hearing the doorbell, Ken came out of his bedroom and walked toward the stairway where he saw Jason on the landing with Matt's rifle. Jason testified that this is the time that he thought his father was, quote, really going to hurt me and that he wasn't joking anymore, end quote. Jason also testified that this is when his, quote, started coming at me. I was just so scared. Shit, I was afraid he was going to hurt me, that I just didn't know what he was going to do to me, end quote. Jason testified further that he shot his dad to protect himself and he had to get out of that room and get away from him. According to Jason's testimony, he did not recall the number of times he had shot his father. Forensic evidence presented at the trial revealed that Jason shot Ken six times. After the shooting, Jason went downstairs and opened the front door to let Matt in. Matt testified that he did not see any of the events that took place before or during the shooting because he didn't look through the front door windows. He testified that when he entered the house, he picked up the shell casings from the shooting. While Mac picked up the shell casings, Jason put on a glove and ransacked Ken's bedroom. Jason also took his dad's wallet and watch from the room. According to Matt, Jason took these actions to make it look like an intruder had shot his dad. Before Jason and Matt left the house, they went to Jason's room so that he could grab a change of clothes. They then walked to Matt's car and drove to Matt's family cabin, which was 10 or 15 minutes away. And at the cabin, Matt showed Jason a swamp-like area where they could dispose of Ken's wallet and watch and the clothes that Jason was wearing during the murder. Matt kept his rifle in his car, and then they drove back to the home. Jason testified that Matt asked him to wait a few minutes before he called the police because this time delay would allow Matt the time to drive home and sneak back into his bedroom. Jason took a shower while Matt drove home. And when Matt got home, he took his rifle with him in order to alter the interior barrel of the rifle with an Allen wrench in order to prevent the rifle from being connected with the bullets that were used to shoot Ken. Jason called 911 when he got out of the shower. The police were arrived within minutes and asked Jason about the shooting. Jason told the officers that he didn't know how or why his father had been shot and also that both he and his father routinely left the front door unlocked thus implying that an intruder could have been responsible for the shooting. At Ken's autopsies, when seven shell casings were recovered, they were discovered that four types of ammunition had been used. 
This led the police to believe that several people were involved, or at least the killer wanted them to think that. The police spoke to Jason since he was the one who found his dad. Jason turned over the clothes he had been wearing that night, which had no blood on them. A gunpowder residue test was also done, and it came back negative. Another suspect was Ken's fiance. The police discovered emails between the two of them that proved that the wedding was on hold indefinitely, and there might have been tension. However, she had been in Switzerland at the time of the murder and was then ruled out. At the crime scene, the police found three different shoe impressions outside the house. Jason told the police that two of the impressions were from him, from him and Matt, and Jason said he wasn't allowed to smoke in the house, so they were outside at some point during the evening. The third print was determined to be from a New York log shoe. These shoes were sold at several stores in St. Cloud, and the shoe impressions went around the back of the home leading to the front door, but the shoe prints never left the house. Shortly before beginning the investigation, the police took Jason and Matt into custody and charged them with Kenneth's murder. Jason was certified to be tried as an adult and indicted for, by a grand jury for first-degree premeditated murder and second-degree intentional murder. Jason pleaded not guilty and asserted that he had killed his father in self-defense. In support of his claim of self-defense, Jason sought to admit expert testimony on battered child syndrome to explain the ill effects his father's emotional abuse and potential effect that such abuse might have had on his perception of fear. Jason then made an offer on the proof of the dynamics of the McLennan family relationships and the need for expert testimony on battered child syndrome. Before trial, Jason made an offer of proof to demonstrate the basis of his claim that Kenneth severely emotionally abused him. The offer of proof included potential testimony from Jason's family in Canada, as well as testimony from friends and neighbors in Florida. All of the witnesses were prepared to testify about their relationships between Ken, Betty, Jason and Betty, and between Jason and Ken. The testimony offered to demonstrate the type of relationship that Ken and Betty had had during their marriage, primarily related to allegations that Ken had both physically and sexually abused Betty. One of Betty's friends from Florida was prepared to testify that Betty had confided in her about Ken's abusive behavior and insatiable desire for sex. Betty's sister, Lillian Barker, was also prepared to testify that Betty confided in her about Ken's abusive behavior. The testimony about Ken and Betty's relationship was offered to support Jason's testimony about the abusive nature of his parents' relationship. Jason's friends and family were willing to testify about the relationship between Jason and Ken, both while Betty was alive and after her death. Several of Jason's neighbors from Florida were prepared to testify that Ken neglected Jason. They would have testified that during Betty's two-year treatment for breast cancer, which included two mastectomies and radiation therapy, Ken remained in Switzerland while Jason was left to serve alone as Betty's primary caretaker. In particular, Jason's former girlfriend, Molly Harris, was willing to testify that Jason had had difficulty staying awake at school and paying attention in class because he expended so much energy caring for his mom. Other friends were also willing to testify about Jason's care and concern for his mom during her illness. The proffered testimony about the relationship between Jason and his dad focused primarily on Jason's fear of his father and his father's bad temper. 
The parents of one of Jason's friends were willing to come forward about at least two instances that they observed a distinct change in Jason's demeanor when he was in Ken's presence. According to them, Jason would go great lengths in order to avoid being alone with Ken, and when in Kenneth's presence, Jason was uncharacteristically docile and hypersensitive. With respect to Ken's temper, a close colleague and tennis partner was prepared to testify that Ken had a short temper and a strong dissatisfaction with his son. Jason's aunt, Lillian Barker, was also prepared to testify about her own experience with Kenneth's anger and emotional abusiveness that occurred when she visited Jason and Ken in Florida after Betty's death. The testimony of Jason's friends and family was offered to support his self-defense claim and the basis of, for his request of expert testimony on battered child syndrome. Ultimately, the court didn't buy the battered child syndrome defense and none of these testimonies ever got a chance to be heard. The prosecution pressured Matt to confess to everything and bring forth evidence by offering him a plea deal. He would plead guilty to second-degree murder in exchange for information. Matt said that the footprints were from his lugs. He had made the footprints to throw off police. He turned over the shoes which he had hid in his basement, and they were a match to the crime scene. Matt was sentenced to 30 years in prison. The motive in this case is said to be greed and Jason's hatred for his dad. Jason originally pled not guilty, but at trial, he said he killed his dad in self-defense. Jason said that his dad had been abusive to him and his late wife, and the jury didn't believe him. He was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Jason has tried to, appeal, tried to appeal his case, but has been denied twice, and most recently in 2005 was denied by the Minnesota Supreme Court. He is currently serving his sentence in the state of Minnesota. I'm curious to know your opinions on this one because uh, I am definitely mixed, um, but I also have a bias because of a similar situation in my personal life that a lot of y'all know about that maybe one day I'll be ready to talk about on the podcast. Um, so be sure to share your opinions with me. You can email me at murderonthemap at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at taylorbtalks to let me know what you think. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Murder on the Map. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and become a sponsor of the show. There's a link for that in the show notes. 100% of the profits from my show are donated to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Murder on the Map is a Radio Free Roscoe production show, and I'll be back soon with an all-new episode. Y'all have a good week, and thanks again for listening.